Locutus are born. Resistance is futile. Your life as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will service us. Mr. Worf. Fire. to Who and Company. It's episode 46. I'm Drew. And I'm Brent. We're celebrating the spookiest time of the year, election season, <laughs> with a Doctor Who podcaster from across the pond. It's Leon from Who Back When. We talk harnessing the power of classical music for upbeat podcasting and delayed Who gratification. Then it's time for Leon's scary pick of the month, because what's scarier than the pinnacle of science fiction's utopian ideal? <laughs> That's right, we're going where, surprisingly, no one has gone before to chat about Star Trek The Next Generation. We'll discuss crew member crushes, favorite stories, and how not to sit in a chair. And all that's coming up right after this. The Mentargans wish to please the Overseer, but they can only guess what he wants. They need a sign. Are you suggesting... You must go down to Mentaka 3. Masquerading as a god? Absolutely out of the question. The Prime Directive has already been violated. The damage is done. All we can do now is minimize it. By sanctioning their false beliefs? By giving them guidelines. Letting them know what the Overseer expects of them. Dr. Barron, I cannot, I will not impose a set of commandments on these people. To do so violates the very essence of the Prime Directive. Like it or not, we have rekindled the Mentagan's belief in the Overseer. And are you saying that this belief will eventually become a religion? It's inevitable. And without guidance, that religion could degenerate into inquisitions, holy wars, chaos. Horrifying. Dr. Barron, your report describes how rational these people are millennia ago. They abandoned their belief in the supernatural. Now you are asking me to sabotage that achievement, to send them back into the dark ages of superstition and ignorance and fear? No! This month's guest is one of the co-hosts of the fast-paced and musically inclined Doctor Who podcast, Who Back When? Leon, welcome to Who and Company. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. Oh, we're so excited to have you on. Let's begin with Doctor Who, because why not? (laughs) <laughs> uh, we're just going to really just jump right in with this. When did you first begin watching the show? And really, why did you stick with it? Oh, wow. All right. Well, I, I started watching this as a kid. This is okay. um, So I grew up in Sweden, and it, it, Doctor Who was one of those BBC properties that actually was, well, well were shown outside of the UK. Um, but 
I've now learned through, well, through interacting with the show on Who Back When that actually I saw very little of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I did watch it as a kid, and it was Tom Baker's Doctor in particular. And uh, it just ended up being this very important seminal part of my, my upbringing, partly because it's a great show. I mean, I don't have to convince you guys, obviously. But also partly because I, th I think, quite frankly, like no one else knew what it was. Like people knew about Star Trek, people knew about maybe Babylon 5 to a degree, but no one in Stockholm seemed to have ever heard of Doctor Who. So it's, it felt like, like, this is my show. Did, did you find that to be um, isolating or freeing? Because or... I know sometimes when you have something that you like that no one else does, you can, you can be kind of like, well, I know this thing that you don't know. Uh, <laughs> and, and then at the same time, many of us uh, geeks find that it's like, well, yeah, I, I had this thing that no one else knows and I got no one to share it with. <laughs> oh, no, no, quite the opposite. It, it, what I'm trying to say is basically that it became something that was even closer to my heart than possibly Star Trek was, for example. It sure. seemed like a very intimate club. Like, Whovians were a much smaller, more intimate group of people than Trekkies, for example. Right. That's the way it was here, too, in North Carolina. Oh, yeah? When, when I was a kid, yeah. I mean, before the new series came out, and everybody's like, it, well, even when the new series came out for a few years, people still didn't know what it was. I think it was when Matt Smith hit was when it really blew up. Uh, but yeah. Is that sort of when they were shooting episodes set in the States? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, gotcha. I th think it was uh, like when they went to New York and all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. And then also, I think uh, we got... I don't remember the first episode was that they showed on BBC America, but when you started getting it... Uh, uh, was it day of on BBC America or was it like a, like a week later or something like that? But it was still pretty relatively close to the actual air date. Now, of course, we, we, we only get it like what, five hours behind, but uh, um, having it coming on to a channel that you can readily get access to, that was a big, big stepping stone for, oh, for I bet, fandom, yeah. I think. Also, having having uh, merchandise and Hot Topic <laughs> didn't, didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was never the case in Stockholm, as I recall. No, no, I, probably not. Uh, so here we go. We'll set the tone. Uh, you're a kid. You're you're watching this show. What is it about the show that really um, appealed to you at that at that age? Were you liking things like Star Trek and Babylon Five already, or was this oh, yeah. sort of your you okay? Oh yeah, no, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But I, I mean, I'm going to jump in with an oh yeah, I was oh yeah with Star Trek and and Babylon Five. Uh, and stuff like Sequest and uh, Night oh Rider, God. just like all these, uh, a scale from just utter nonsense to pure genius. Uh, I, I adored it all. But Tom Baker's Doctor in particular, I mean, he's he's so quirky. He's, he's okay. You know what it is? It's that he's an outsider. Mm -hmm. It's like he is the geek, and uh, I think that's something that resonates with it. If if you're a viewer of a particular age, I think that really tends to resonate with you on a different level than, let's say, David Tennant might have done in his day. Because David Tennant was really cool. Tom Baker was not really cool. He was he was the nerd in the class, you know? You know, I, I don't think we've ever discussed this particular aspect of Tom Baker's Doctor, but not only was he the outsider, I think he reveled in the fact that he was the outsider. Oh, like yeah. he, No, that's on point. Yeah, in, in the same way that, you know, well, I don't really know how to fit in with everybody else. I could try to be cool and be more like them 
or I could just ratchet that crazy up to 11 and uh, just uh, run with that. Just really lean into that smile. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it helps that he has an inordinate amount of teeth. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you 100%. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of uh, Tom Baker with his jaws fully extended so we can count the many rows like a shark. <laughs> I, I would assume that uh, Tom Baker is probably your favorite doctor since he was your first, maybe? I think in terms of classic, at least so far, he is my favorite doctor. I'm I'm in this weird, privileged position where I've, I've not seen hardly anything of the fifth, sixth, seventh doctor. I've seen the eighth doctor movie, but I, like, there are three whole doctors that I am effectively, you know, I haven't been subjected to. So I, I may change my mind. I doubt it, but I might. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Tom Baker is definitely my favorite of the classics so far. That's really cool. I definitely want to get to how you're formatting your show and the fact that you're not watching in advance, which I think is brilliant and <laughs> oh, definitely you. not something I could do uh, in any way, shape or form. Oh, really? So, <laughs> no, no. My whole shtick is uh, I, I, I will approach any subject in one of two ways. Either I will research the hell out of it and you know learn every little bit of minutia and be able to answer every question and really like kind of consume it and really you know i will be a fan about it or i'll go yeah i haven't watched it nope yeah dirty dancing Pfft, nope sorry you know that kind of a thing <laughs> wait where, you haven't like, seen dirty dancing i have not seen dinner dance yeah okay i'm gonna done. start a sister podcast about it's called dancing back when it's gonna be great uh -huh. we're gonna be talking <laughs> non-stop dirty dancing <laughs> And we're just going to be, <laughs> it's like, well, we've taken Drew. He's never watched Dirty Dancing. So what we're going to do is for the next five years, he's going to be watching it every week with a new guest who will just tell him information about their stories, but when they saw it and why this is, yeah, no. Uh, I Yeah, that sounds like a special uh, type of hell. Um, but, but again, I think it's really neat because listening to your podcast, which I have done quite a bit of recently, mm -hmm. um, as the, as uh, yes, well, you're welcome. Um, as uh, you and and your your fellow co-hosts were sort of like, oh, I really like this character. I hope they stick around. And I'm like, what do you mean? You <laughs> hope they stick around? You're Doctor <laughs> Who fans. You're podcasters. Clearly, you've watched every episode many times and know all the ins and outs. No, oh, oh, well, very good for you. I I, I think it's so. It's uh, a very it's, mixed bag of feedback about exactly that from our listeners. There there are some people who who seem to really enjoy the fact that we are learning and you know exploring the mm -hmm. show alongside maybe complete newbies uh, because as you say there are lots of times in classic who in particular where we'll come across something where we're like holy crap like i really hope that they stick with this like i want this character to continue for the rest of the season and then maybe we're disappointed who knows <laughs> but it, so that there are some people who really like that and then there are others who really complain that we don't know everything <laughs> and i mean we'll get I'm sure every kind of fandom podcast gets this. We'll get, a, you know, the occasional email of someone just really berating us for our lack of knowledge. Let me ask you this. Uh, as a podcast that doesn't get much uh, emails berating us about our lack of knowledge, not because we don't have a <laughs> lack of knowledge, but just because for the most part, I don't think people send us a lot of emails. But... Um, <laughs> but I actually don't know format. where I was... I mean, we're talking yeah. about the narratives on, on it's our true. show. It's true. 
you've done this incredible. Can I just take a step back from this? I'm really sorry. I'll just take a step back and say, holy moly, well done, you guys. Your podcast is incredible. Oh, like, I don't understand you. how you've managed to, you know, spread your, your Whovian tendrils across all of Whocast land and people in, in the industry. It's, it's really quite impressive. Well, it's, it's, it's part of that is that we're a monthly podcast. And so we have... Um, usually about 27 days where we can kind of be relaxed about it. And then when we hit day 28, depending on what month it is, that's when the panic sets in. Uh, <laughs> and we realize, you know, we should probably invite somebody onto the podcast to talk to them for this month. Um, it doesn't always work out that way. It does. Um, but, <laughs> well, you know, we're talking about podcasts. Let's talk about your podcast. Sure. Please, Leon, tell us the origin story of your podcast. Oh, wow. All right. Well, so the, the show is called Who Back When? It started some seven years ago and change. And it, it was, it, it, I mean, we, I, I co-founded it with a buddy of mine, Jack, Flapjack or Flaps, depending on who you are. And uh, we, we loved New Who. We had seen all of New Who at the time. Uh, and we had maybe dipped a toe in Classic Who. Like I mentioned, I'd seen a fair bit of Tom Baker as a kid, and he had seen, I think, some of Davison. But we were pretty much just ignorant of Classic Who in general. And we figured, well, why not? Like I had already had a podcast before then that no one ever listened to. And mm -hmm. I, I think he probably wanted to start a podcast, and we just decided, let's, let's learn about this show. Let's watch this show one episode or one serial, rather, at a time and do this from Hartnell's, you know, the 1963 premiere of the show all the way to New Who. That was the original idea. We're going to go through this one by one. And, uh, and that's it. I mean, that's what we do. So at this point, we've kind of split it off a little bit. We have three different channels. We have a classic Who where we're doing this chronologically as well. At the moment, we're approaching the end of Tom Baker. Uh, I think the last one that we reviewed was Megloss, I want to say that. And uh, killer episode, by the way, like awesome episode. And then in on the new channel, we're now we've literally last night we reviewed the the halfway point of Capaldi. It was the the Zygon invasion, so we're, we're you know they're running in parallel. And every now and then we we dip a toe in audio who as well. So there are the big Finnish audio books. Mm -hmm. I think that's brilliant, and I really like the format. I like your numbering system. Very confusing, uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, for w the first time you dip into it, and then it makes a lot more sense once you say visit your website, and you can kind of expand it out and go, "Oh, that's yeah. what those letters mean." Fantastic, <laughs> but I, I do like it because I, I I know a number of uh, podcasts who take their classic era and and kind of go from start to finish, and don't always make it to new who because there's yeah. that's a lot to tackle so i think tons. The, the idea that you're you're working on classic and occasionally dip your toe into uh, a new who and 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 do uh you see well, we I try know to alternate them yeah so it's sort of every it's more or less every couple of weeks we do a new mm -hmm. who every couple of weeks we do a classic but i mean scheduling you guys all know this like scheduling won't always work out right so that becomes an occasion to maybe maybe do an audio book or yeah. maybe do a bonus episode or something yeah. I, <clears throat> pardon me. I, I, um, I asked Brent. I was like, okay, where do I start? And he said, uh, "Robots of Death." Uh, that's, oh, that's a right. really good one. A lot of fun. Uh, and he was right. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, if I'm if I'm gonna listen to that, uh, then I want to go back and listen to you know favorites. And uh, so I listened to a couple of my favorites. I won't tell you which ones they are yet. Um, okay. 
and really enjoyed those. Uh, well, the important thing for me is is I, I the tricky thing when you're doing a podcast is because when you become a Doctor Who fan um, uh, of a certain age or with a certain technology, with a certain amount of free time, I think you're uh, obligated to start your own podcast or be a part of a podcast or guest on a podcast. It's your civic um, duty. It really is. And I feel like they'll <laughs> take your card away if you don't. Um, but the tricky thing is what what can you bring uh, to the conversation, right? Um, and it's I find it fascinating, uh, you know, how different people's views of the show change. So I could listen to 101 podcasts about the same episode. And not everyone's going to say the same thing. And so it's very cool to go and listen to podcasts because I want to find ones that I really like and I want to find folks who agree with me and I want to find out why they agree with me. But sometimes I also like to listen to folks who disagree with me and I want to know why. <laughs> and right. uh, I, I love that with your format, you have uh, so many different ways of approaching the stories and you do such an excellent job. That's very of kind of you to say. Thank you. Dissecting an episode. I really know. I, I quite enjoy it because, you know, sometimes I look at it and I go, OK, it's an hour and a half format. They're going to be talking about it. You go over the general plot. You discuss what you like and you dislike about it. But uh, I feel like it's not a flippant review. I feel like you really get a good understanding of uh, some of you, some of your discussions about the scripts in particular. I really dug. I just listened to the Prisoner of the Sun, which um, I very much <laughs> want to listen. That the audiobook, um, which I now it's a really, really much good want to. Yeah, you it should listen sounds, to it. It's fantastic. I mean, with that many positive reviews of it, I I, I don't see how I could. Um, we'll see. I, I don't do as many audiobooks these days unless I'm doing it for uh, a different podcast that we we'll we'll do the Doctor Who podcast. We'll frequently have us review uh, audiobooks. So who knows what James is going to ask us to look at at some point in time? But James, Ooh, if you're okay. listening, definitely Prisoner of the Sun would be kind of cool since uh, I set this up. Hey, James. Uh, so. <laughs> um, I, I actually discovered your show a few years ago when you were covering Pertwee. And, uh, oh, wow. At, okay. At the time, I was working pretty much in isolation, so I had a lot of time to listen to podcasts, and I'd caught up on all the ones I'd heard regularly. So uh, I went searching for more and found yours and just thought it was so clever and so funny, and, and I've really enjoyed it. So... Um, I yeah, mean, it's it, a shame that this isn't a video podcast because, you know, podcast land could just see my ego growing with every phrase. <laughs> this is fantastic. Rise, my I'm glad you enjoyed rise. the show. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. I can see the bookcase behind you about to tip over. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I didn't want to brag or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about um, just the, the number of episodes and kind of the diversity of it, but you also have a very brilliant website. So, uh, oh, thank you. you know, I really enjoyed going over that this week, too. Um, do you folks ever sleep? I mean, I wonder because it seems like uh, you tackle these this show with such uh, vim and vigor. Uh, and you're kind of all over the place in in the best possible way. So I, it takes I, a lot of time. There, there's probably, I mean, more sleep could probably be had. <laughs> oh, but, but it's, it, it's, it's so a joy. overrated sleep. Exactly, it's unproductive time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you sleep, you, there's no way you can make eye booger monsters. So there you go. <laughs> and who would want to do that? Right. <laughs> it's on my bucket list. I'll, I'll get around to it at some point. <laughs> So uh, I also understand you're writing and producing your own Doctor Who audiobooks. Is that right? Uh, well, we've we did one a couple of years ago uh, called Operation Pandorica, which was uh, it was meant to be sort of a, a prequel to Victory of the Daleks. So it's set during the London Blitz and 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 so on and so forth, and it was 
so much fun to do. We we only produced it with with like us. So it was the podcast crew and you know significant others, a couple of mates. Uh, and it, yeah, now this this year during during lockdown, I mean, you know, uh, future archaeologists will will unearth this and and realize, holy moly, th these are the recordings, these are the you know outpourings of people in isolation. Uh, we decided to write another one. So we are currently in the process of, of we are actually almost done with the first draft. We're hoping to finish it this week. <laughs> uh, it's called Strange Readings. Well, that's the working title anyway. It may change. Who knows? Oh, but okay. this time it's like the first one was very much a like the doctor was barely in it. Spoiler alert. It's a Doctor Who story, but it's not a doctor story. This one is very much a, our attempt at kind of a Doctor Who audio adventure. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to produce it hopefully sometime this year. Uh, and uh, we we have some ambitions with this. This is in, I mean, it's barely scraping the surface of this incredible job that you guys have been doing of unifying, you know, the the Hoovian territory. But what we would like to do is to get other people involved as well. So number one on the list is is our listeners. We ha we have a, a whole bunch of of uh, listeners whom whom we absolutely love and adore. And uh, we would like to get, you know, a few cameo parts for people here and there. Um, but then the other thing was there are th there are tons of super duper charming and talented Whovian podcasters out there. So we want to do that as well. There's, I mean, there's an added bonus of podcasters tend to have professional recording gear. <laughs> so that makes life a little easier. But that's that's basically the idea. So we're going to we're going to finish the script now. And then we're going to start casting it. Uh, people may already at this point, I don't know when this episode drops, but at this point, people may already have received an email from us to say, hey, would you like to record a line or two? And uh, depending on how diligent we are, it might it might drop sometime this year. Very cool. I'm looking forward to it. Um, how could we find uh, Operation Pandorica? Well, the the easiest thing is probably just to go to whobackwhen. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, to, to whobackwhen.com, uh, to the website. You can you can find it there. Otherwise, I mean, we're available on iTunes and everywhere else. Sure. That's cool. Was it released <clears throat> separate from the podcast, or is it like one of your podcast episodes was the, the full audio adventures? Uh, it was, it was uh, in four parts. Oh, so it was, nice! Uh, <laughs> so it was. Uh, it, so in addition to the classic Who and New Who and Audio Who, we also have the occasional bonus episode, and we just made four bonus episodes in a row. I think five nice. actually, because we had a blooper reel as well. Uh, and, awesome. uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the The audio story medium is absolutely one of my favorites, and I think podcasting has has done quite a bit to to kind of bring that back into our lives. So I've, there's a lot of podcasts that I listen to that are just narrative stories. And it's like being a kid and listening to radio dramas again, you know? You Absolutely, yes, exactly. And listen to The Shadow and, and you know, like kind of the stories that are like the pulp serializations, you know? Oh, wow, there are bum, some deep cuts bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I love that kind of stuff. You know, only child sitting around the house listening to this or making my own radio shows by like kind of sitting in a corner talking into a tape deck. I'm sure there's some really weird tapes out there. Um, well, it's cool that we can find it on, on your um, website. Speaking of, um, saw something else on your website. Definitely wanted to ask about um, whose idea was it to mash up the face of Bo and Zardoz? <laughs> oh, yeah, guilty as charged. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I quite like that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's good. It's good. That's that's part of our merch section. I I think we've. I mean, there's zero. They're almost very close to zero people out in the world who actually walk around with who back when merch. But I, I think there might be one person who has a, a face of Zardoz t-shirt t-shirt somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. No, I think who it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Zardoz. Now, Nuria, suppose. One of your cave-dwelling ancestors were to see you as you are today. What would she think? I don't know. Well, put yourself in her place. You see, she cannot kill a hornbuck at a great distance. You can. You have a power she lacks. Only because I have a bow. She has never seen a bow. It doesn't exist in her world. To you, it's a simple tool. To her, it's magic. I suppose she might think so. Now, how would she react to you? I think she would fear me. Just as you fear me. Well, Leon, whenever we have a guest on, we invite somebody on to come and talk about Doctor Who. We also, as you are fully well aware, uh, we know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of their fandom. So what show are you bringing us this month, and why did you select it? Right, well, I, I picked Star Trek The Next Generation. And uh, I, I did this. Uh, by the way, can I just say, I agonized over this. I, I, <laughs> I went over your, your incredibly impressive roster of, of guests and other, you know, third-party franchises that have been discussed on the show. And I was like, oh, oh crap, someone's already picked Babylon 5. Oh, oh crap, someone's already done Gilmore Girls. This is, oh, what am I going to do? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> by the way, both great episodes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I went with Star Trek TNG, The Next Generation, which... I think, I mean, it, it occupies, like, the other chamber of my heart, uh, alongside Doctor Who. It's something that I watched as a kid. I, I originally watched it dubbed to German, so like, I, I'm now re-watching it, and it's super weird to see everyone speak, or hear everyone speak English. But it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm incre it's incredibly dear to me. It is a fantastic show, and I would say it's probably the best Star Trek show. And there are a lot of them. There are a lot that's of them. A, that's a ballsy statement. <laughs> do you, uh, why do you think that is? Do you think it, um, nostalgia plays a part of that? or? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm certain that I'm biased to some degree, surely. I, I, I would be lying if I, if I said I weren't. But it, it just got everything right. Like, it, it's taken the concepts of the original series, of the whole Kirk and Spock series... Uh, and just made it slightly more, this is totally the wrong expression to use here, but like it's made it slightly more down to earth. Like it's, it's, uh. it's less, it's less camp. It's less sixties. Let's, you know, less swinging sixties. <laughs> uh, it's more realistic in, in an absurd way. Uh, but it's really, really got the, um, it's got a fantastic cast. It's got a fantastic, like it's an ensemble piece is what it is. And every single character is interesting in their own right, but when they collaborate and almost every episode they do, it's just incredibly well done. So you said you watched this as a kid. I, I, yeah. Is that like on first airing or did you catch it later? Or 
How old do you think I am? No, I'm kidding. I uh, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I might have, actually. Well, this is also in Sweden. So, like, everything gets to Sweden slightly later than the rest of the world, unfortunately. So, most likely, it wasn't on, on the first airing as such. Uh, right. But, um, ish. You know, I probably watched this in the early 90s. So, it's relatively close to, to the start of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I was, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was born 83. So I was, you know, below 10 up to, let's say, I don't know, maybe 15, 16, something like that when I was watching it. And um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's got everything. Around. It's everything that I love about that is the stuff that I would maybe be tempted to create another incredibly critical podcast of the modern Star Trek shows about, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I, I first started watching it. Um well, here's my age, but I, I first started watching it when it came out, but I, I didn't, it was on syndication right from the start, so watching it took a little bit of effort, Okay. and uh, you know, you you had to hope that you had the right time, that you hadn't recorded a repeat, <laughs> that it wasn't <laughs> preempted from a game earlier that day, um, all of that coupled with the fact that that was a time in my life where I'd just gotten my license and I was hardly ever home. So uh, obviously I missed a lot of episodes here and there, but when when they you were, were boldly to be released... going where no one had gone before, is that what you're <laughs> exactly. saying? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, exactly. Sorry, I cut you off again. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, but um, when they were starting to be released on Blu-ray a few years ago, I watched each season in its entirety. Uh, with each set that I bought, I watched the entire season and and some of it for the first time. So, um, and I even started to watch all the special features on there, but some oh, of those well special features on there have massive spoilers on them for the other shows. So I stopped watching those. <laughs> massive <laughs> you mean the spoilers. other Star Trek shows? Like the other, like yeah, Voyager and stuff? DS9, right. Voyager, Enterprise. I was like, wow, I can't believe they're just going to blow this here to stuff I haven't seen yet. So I stopped <laughs> watching it. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I think to me, I, I think uh, it's true what they say that it really didn't get its foothold until season three. That's probably about uh, to say, yeah. Yeah, so, there were some good ones in there, but there were also some truly uh, gift-wrapped turds in there first couple of seasons, <laughs> too. <but. laughs> so true. So, so did, you, did you guys also watch... Like, have you been exposed to the other Star Trek shows? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Not really. Nice. I'm a fairly new... I, I just started watching Voyager maybe a year ago. Voyager's mm. amazing. Voyager's really good, I think. Yeah, I'm in season three now, I think. And um, uh, we watched a few episodes for Enterprise for a previous guest we had. Um, and DS9, I watched quite a bit at the time, but I think I um, quit maybe season four or five or something. And so now when I watch... Okay, here's Super Nerd coming out. Um, oh, here we go. Here when we go. I watched <laughs> all of the Blu-rays in order of TNG... I actually looked at the air dates for when DS9 started, which I think was the first of season six. Oh, God, that, this um, is deeply erotic. I'm loving this. <laughs> <laughs> and so I looked at them, and I started watching them per air date, back and forth, back and forth. And oh, then when that wow. ended, I started, I've, I'm now into DS9 and Voyager back and forth. So I'm, I'm in DS9 5, I think, and Voyager 3. Nice. Oh, well done. I did that with Buffy and Angel at the time. Uh, oh, all right. Because yeah. <laughs> they also intersected a little bit. I've sort of ran out of gas now, so I, I've <laughs> I'll get back to it sooner or later. DS9 is interesting because DS9 and Babylon Five have a tremendous amount of stuff in common. Just narratively speaking, they're so similar. I, I'm not entirely sure which one ripped off 
which one, but they're, they're really similar. Mm. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that on our episode about Babylon 5, but yeah. I, having not watched... I think I've watched maybe two episodes of DS9. I didn't have any kind of frame of reference for it. So I think it's actually safe to say now that I've watched more Babylon 5 than I have DS9, uh, just in preparation for that particular episode. I watched some episodes of Next Gen when it was uh, live on the air, but my family didn't watch a lot of evening TV. But my, my real kind of distinct memory of watching it was with my grandparents when I would go with, to stay with them in the summers. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, um, you know, like, I, I don't know if they were watching it and I was watching it with them or they didn't, they didn't watch anything that I actually liked. And so if I saw something sci-fi on, I would kind of force them to uh, watch that instead. But I, my, my memory is a little hazy about that. Um, but I do remember like bits and pieces, like certain episodes I remember watching, um, live on air but then i think it went to syndication around my sophomore freshman or sophomore year of high school and it was something that i would look forward to when i would come home from school um around the same time no boy hold on junior year had to be junior year because i was playing a lot of uh, magic the gathering uh the card game and they came out with a star trek next generation style card game similar to that and i bought the packs of cards and didn't know what was going on in the cards. And so I watched the TV show to have a better understanding of the game. Because nice. that's the kind of nerd <laughs> oh, wow. that I am. <laughs> and so I would base it, I would like, I would build decks based off of the most recent episode I had seen uh, if, if those characters or cards were available. And so that's sort of, like, I had watched the original series uh, as a much younger kid. And I think around this time, to the movies were still the original cast movies were still kind of in full swing maybe six had just come out or no seven yeah, tng or is like that. in this really weird time where like when tng started that that was the year after the undiscovered country no sorry the mm. the voyage home star trek 4 came out and so tng is running in the background while they're still churning out classic cast or you know original series cast movies in the cinema and it's not until like three movies later that the two are merged. So it's a, it's a it's an odd. Is it it's I don't know. Is it an equilibrium? I, I mean, it's an odd imbalance sure, between yeah. the two. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even actually think about that because um, I, I looked at the dates and when Next Generation was playing, but I guess I didn't really eighty seven. Eighty seven. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Right? Sorry, I'm eating an olive. I apologize. No, yeah. I. Oh. That's a little bonkers, actually, to think of, of what was playing in the theaters at that time. Yeah, because I definitely... I remember watching Undiscovered Country, and I remember watching Voyage Home, and... Uh, wait, is it Undiscovered Country? Is that That's six? the sixth one, yeah. Sorry. What's the fifth one? Uh, the Final Frontier. Final mm. Frontier, right. It, it's, yeah. it's the one everyone loves to hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that is that with Spock's brother? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. And and God, and God, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, the Enterprise fights God. Yeah, special there. appearance by God. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me, I I think it was uh, early Fantastic Four. Stanley just simply wrote in the script, uh, "The Fantastic Four fight God," and he hands it over to Kirby and goes, "Here, draw this." <laughs> like, like, or like space space God, a space God. 
And he's like, all right, here you yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Could you give me any pointers? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> what's that about? Uh, just give him giant fins on his helmet. You know, like the usual. Maybe some short shorts. <laughs> it was a different time. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, you know, um, so I know that when I was watching that show, I had a real affinity for data. Um, yeah. I'm kind of curious about sometimes we latch on to a character and they're are sort of our proxy in the same way that we like a doctor or a companion. Who were your characters that you kind of uh, glommed onto? So I think for me, this is a really good question. I, I think for me, there were actually two characters and they probably reflect two different periods in my youth. And it's, the first one is definitely Data as well. There's a, there's a fantastic episode. Well, I say fantastic. It's not a great episode, actually. There's an episode where uh, Wesley Crusher, the kid uh, on the show, uh, gets really, really attached to Data. And he pretends, like he, he acts as though he too were an android. And uh, I remember at least one, like, one slightly awkward family dinner when I, like, I genuinely remember doing the same thing. <laughs> Just as this absolute uh, nerd kid. So th there was a time when I, I, I did feel, oh, Data is, he's so logical, he's so clever. Like, he's the Vulcan, effectively, of TNG. Right, yeah. And um, I think, actually, originally he was meant to be a Vulcan. Like, the character of Data was never, he was originally conceived as, like, there's going to be a Vulcan who gets in touch with emotions and so on. But um, so there's that. And then later on, maybe as, you know, hormones took over, it became more about Riker, who's the, you know, the, the chin dimpled Kirk right. stand in of TNG. who's just a massive ladies man uh, and who can't sit down normally. <laughs> Thank you. What is going on with that leg? He is fantastic. The, I mean, seriously, if you have a spare five minutes or 25 minutes, if you want to watch it five times on a loop, just YouTube a, 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 a compilation of Riker sitting down because he has <laughs> what affectionately by, by the, the cast and crew off screen was uh, deemed the, the Riker maneuver, which is mm -hmm. how he sits down on chairs. I, I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, he basically straddles the chair. He sits... Oh, I, 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 I'm not going to do it justice. It's worth watching. Uh, in one of the episodes you had us watch, uh, he doesn't do the Riker maneuver per se. No, but he puts but his he, leg up. He puts his leg up. Yeah. And I feel like what the helmsman is a helmswoman. <laughs> and his groin is very close to her face. <laughs> and and I, one, that's not polite, even in whatever century this show takes place. Is it 23rd? <laughs> Something like that? 20, 24th, I want to say. I mean, they're 24th, beyond it yeah. anyway. I mean, they're, they're beyond yeah. that. This is not... Sure, like, of course. You know, he's not Weinsteining this this woman. He's it, yeah. this, this is just what he does. He's just being comfortable. It makes him... Exactly. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what's going on. This is just ergonomics at play. This, this guy is so incredibly cool and so comfortable around the bridge that he will just put his leg up everywhere. <laughs> but how is that... Like, is the bridge designed to have a foot placed at that level? Because normally, you know, that's he has his foot higher than the actual helmsman or helmswoman is sitting. Like, he'll come down and, like, where is that foot going? And are there buttons that could potentially blow up the ship at that level? I'm guessing probably not, but... 
that's another thing that you can actually look up online. There, there are lots of clips of Riker just leaning on consoles. And it's, I mean, I think it's turned into a bit of a meme of like, all right, well, I guess you blew up that galaxy because you just leant against the console. Uh, no, yeah, there's a blatant disregard to, you know, what's, what consoles and technology at large do in terms of like, or how you interact with them. Or maybe there's just, they assume that technology is so advanced that it's intuitive and it figures out if you are, you know, deliberately pressing buttons or if you're just being a sexy hunk of a hunk of a man. I'm just wondering if the computer's just like recognizes Riker's uh, posturing and just kind of like sighs inwardly to itself. Uh, Brent, how about you? Who um, who did you relate to on the show? Uh, probably Data. I think his character had the most development mm-hmm. of the series and the movies too. Um, but the ironic part was that he wasn't human. But that generated a lot of comedy when he was a fish out of water or, right. or he misunderstood things. And a lot of danger, too, whenever he was corrupted or taken over by something, you know, he was almost indestructible. So whenever he turned on the crew, you're like, how in the hell are they going to stop him now? Because he's like <laughs> almost unstoppable. And especially when they had Data and Lore. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, Data Those Lore, were some of the best episodes. episodes. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever Lore shows up, those are usually really good. I do remember, and I think one of the reasons that Data was my favorite, one of my favorites, is I feel like it's an early season, probably pre-season three, and I just I'm not familiar with the the show in the same way that I, clearly both of you are. But um, I I grew up listening to radio dramas of Sherlock Holmes, and so oh, wow. anything with nice. Sherlock Holmes is is uh, something I will I will beeline straight for. And so the fact that Data enjoys, and Data and Jordy uh, enjoy Sherlock Holmes adventures and they go into the holodeck. I think it's elementary Data or something like that. Yes, elementary, yeah. my dear Data. Um, like, I feel like that happens twice. Maybe Moriarty shows up twice on the series. But he does, really I think, yeah. Early yeah. on. And um, when the show was first released on VHS, I think I would rent that episode at the video store over and over again because I just really enjoyed seeing... Um, Sherlock Holmes in a sci-fi setting, which I guess at the time you could still see on Sherlock Holmes in the 23rd century or 24th century, whatever that. Oh, I'm um, not familiar with that. There's a Saturday morning cartoon uh, where Holmes, I think, falls like Reichenbach falls, freezes him in a block of ice, and they um, they uh, thaw him out in the future, and and uh, people have like robot arms and Moriarty's. Oh my god, this is the most powers. amazing thing I've ever heard. This is incredible. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's the animation is not great, but it's a, a really fun show, and and there's definite nods to the original Conan Doyle stories. So that was a, a real fun one. Did you ever so. watch the Jeremy Brett TV show? Uh, Jeremy Brett is my sh- my Sherlock, as oh, as far nice. as I'm concerned. Like he's Holmes to me, and when I think of Sherlock Holmes, that's that is the uh, the face that I see. Yeah, so. same. Yeah. Yep, love it. Oh boy, I can't wait for someone to pick that. Right, but there's something strangely comforting about watching this show that I was not expecting. Because in my mind, uh, I I felt it like I, kind of looking back at being fairly campy, and and maybe it's just the the episodes that you selected for us to watch are so mwah, you can't see it, but I'm I'm doing the French kiss <laughs> or whatever it is the mwah, the chef's kiss. Um, I am making out with my microphone. It's um, very hot. I mean, take it from me, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but of the 178, why choose the the three that you you brought us? Oh right. Well, I mean, I absolutely agonized over over this bit as well. 
partly because... But we like torturing our guests. I mean, that's actually the reason we do the show in the first place. Oh, well, I mean, sure. mission accomplished, guys. Well done. Yeah. Oh, so... good. Yeah. <laughs> right, high five through the... Oh, yeah. yeah there you go. So oh. I, I wanted to pick episodes that weren't necessarily the, the ones that everyone always picks. And there's there's also... I'll, I'll plug something that I'm absolutely not affiliated with in any way, but that I'm a huge fan of, which is Red Letter Media. You may be familiar with that already on YouTube. They're, they're incredible, and they do fantastic reviews. And lately, they have been doing Star Trek The Next Generation reviews. And I, re I was very conscious about this. I mean, it was they, those episodes were dropping on YouTube around about the same time that you guys approached me. And I was very conscious about, like, I don't want to pick the episodes that they've picked. I want to pick the ones that no one picks. Uh, and I kind of, it's sort of a compromise. So I, I, I picked at least one that is on definitely everyone's top list. Okay, wait, wait, but before we get to your actual list, I'm kind oh, of yeah, curious, sorry. what does everyone pick? I think everyone picks The Inner Light, uh, Best of Both mm -hmm. Worlds, so, oh, Best of yeah. Both Worlds, certainly, which is the, you know, the Picard is taken over by the Borg, he becomes a Borg. Anyone who... Oh. Have you seen Star Trek First Contact? The, like, the, the first yes. proper Star mm -hmm. Trek TNG mm -hmm. movie? It, I mean, it's an awesome movie. It's, it is. It's not super-duper Star Trek TNG, because it's so action-packed, but it's such an incredibly good movie. And that is a follow-up to the the storyline that is set up with Best of Both Worlds, where Picard gets assimilated, basically. Uh, and it, it talks about, you know, loyalty. And should, if your captain and best friend is taken over by the enemy, are, are you in a position to blow him out of the, out of the sky? You know, it, it, it's, it's a really cool, uh, cool, it's a double feature, in fact, I think. Um, yeah, Inner Light is another one, the one where Picard's, learns to play the flutes. It, it's a beautiful episode. Like, it's a genuinely beautiful episode. I understand why it's on everyone's top list. It's the one where um, th there's, I want to say this, I haven't rewatched this in a while, but there's like a probe that shows up. It zaps Picard. He wakes up. He's an alien in a different world. He leads a whole life on this world. Like He has a family. He learns to play the flute. And something cataclysmic happens on this world that just annihilates them. And as it does, he wakes up and he's back on the bridge. And, like, only a moment has passed, but for him, a lifetime has passed. I'm sorry, I'm really spoiling this episode for everyone. I'm so <laughs> sorry, this is horrible. Like, feel, free, free, feel free to bloop, like, bleep the, the latest, you know, the last two minutes of what, my speech. But, um, I mean, it's a beautiful episode about just getting to know another civilization. And it's, it, it's really at the heart of what started... You know, this is why I love TNG. TNG is Star Trek in an era where Star Trek was about exploration and actually mm. going out there and, and being diplomatic and forming relationships with other other cultures, other other species ar around the universe. And and it's just so beautifully encapsulated in many of these episodes, Inner Light being one of them. Which three did you pick for us to watch? Oh, man. All right. All right. Here we go. Okay. So I picked... <laughs> Drum roll. <laughs> I picked, in, in chronological order, I picked Who Watches the Watchmen, which is a season three one. Uh, and then I picked two from season five, namely A Matter of Time and Cause and Effect. And I, I, I picked these for different reasons. Uh, I mean, two of them are time travel related. I was going to ask if that was done on purpose. I, I mean, I, it, it, we, we, we've been talking about Doctor Who for a bit. I feel like it's only <laughs> appropriate. It's only polite, right? 
Um, but uh, but yeah, so who watches the watches is the first one that I've picked. I don't know if you. How do you want to do this? How do you want to um, approach? Let's this? talk about it. I mean, Brent, unless you unless you have any objection to it, I'm kind of because it's weird because I feel like this is um, this is a part of my geeky life that I I haven't really explored in 20 years, and I found myself watching the show with fresh eyes. I I hadn't seen either of these three, or if I had, it had been so long that I didn't remember a single thing about it. Uh, I mean, I don't want to go, you know, frame by frame, but I, I wouldn't mind talking about them because I feel like the selections themselves probably speak volumes about what you like about the show because each one definitely mm. brings something um, yeah, different yeah. different to it. So, um, but yeah, why? So did you, are these episodes that you think that were appropriate to talk about or did they have any kind of special meaning for you in particular? I think they just very neatly encapsulate what the show is about, really. I mean, and, and they are definitely on my top... I, I don't want to say top 10 or top 20 or top 30. or like, like They're in my top 178 episodes of Star Trek TNG. <laughs> right, right, right. Sure, sure. Uh, they're absolutely incredible. And they're not necessarily the go-to episodes, but they are still, I, I think, probably, you know universally loved by fans of the show they're not the crap wesley ones they're they're they're, they're, they're good ones and they're not from the season where dr crusher wasn't even on the show like what was that about but it, it's it... <laughs> they're very solid they're very solid all three yeah right yeah. like they're very self-contained you can watch one of these like either one of these episodes and you get a, a nice glimpse of what sci-fi can be and and what tng in fact is a lot of shows that involve space are about, um, you know, that ragtag band of smugglers, you know, your fireflies or your, uh, what's the one with Muppets in space that isn't actually Muppets in space. But <laughs> oh, Hens uh, Hens oh what's Company it Farscape. Put together. Farscape. Farscape, right, which is basically Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, you know, this is a sort of like, you know, this rough and ready group of smugglers or traders or mercenaries. But Star Trek is very much a, a uniformed group of peacekeepers in in the truest of senses and what well, it used to be rules that they follow <laughs> oh, and that's and that well that's that's what this is but now you start watching star trek it's like that doesn't seem like what you no. know that's not what i remember star trek being i absolutely guess absolutely not um but these episodes are very much just that and i and i kind of went oh right this is star trek exactly I think this is what i think of when i think of star trek so did you guys, have you guys watched uh, Discovery and uh, perhaps more to the point, Picard? I've seen all of Picard, yeah. Did you like it? I liked it. Um, no judgment. I have to say, <laughs> no, no, I, I have to say uh, it was really slow and they did in 10 episodes what they could have done in maybe five. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's a fair point. But yeah. uh, I still enjoyed it and definitely the first episode and the last episodes were spectacular. Uh, and I think it could be better uh, next season. Is there going to be a second but, uh, season, do you think? Yeah, there's going to be a season two, and I think I read uh, they're already doing some kind of pre-production on season three already. Oh, my so. goodness. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just did a, um, a virtual convention where we discussed Picard, and I think uh, I don't – I was asked to be a part of it because I had written a piece for a charity anthology uh, that we have physical copies of the outside in that ATB publishing puts out. And they had asked for 11 Picard 
uh, one one per episode of the ten episodes plus a bonus, and I pitched them a what if the Borg took over the Great British Baking Show uh, using characters <laughs> from Picard. And so like that was the pitch I gave, and they let me do that. And so they asked me to be on this panel, but I clearly anyone listening to this now knows that I, I I'm not as familiar with Star Trek, and I think that was the they needed somebody who kind of went yes. I enjoyed the show, but I didn't understand what was going on because there's enough references that I was like, okay, I remember Locutus of Borg. Like, I remember that. I wasn't yeah. watching the show at the time, but I remember that being kind of a uh, a cultural milestone where people were talking about it because I feel like That's the best that of reveal both happened. episode, by the way. Okay, there you go. Because I remember it happening right before like a summer and then there's this being this break and everyone being really excited about starting the new season with the conclusion to that story, neither of which I've ever seen. Um, so I feel like I didn't get the same thing out of Picard as I would have had I been familiar with those episodes. But the important thing about Picard for me was that my wife enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, right. She, you know, since the lockdown, uh, or I guess since the pandemic, since we weren't technically on lockdown here in the States, um, uh, uh, Patrick Stewart has been reading Shakespearean sonnets every day. You could just go on, I think it's on YouTube or his a, a website of his and, and just listen to him read poetry. Oh my what a goodness. Human All right. You know, I know what I'm doing tonight. Sonorous <laughs> voice. And, and there's something so charming about him. And I feel like he's really having a, a kind of like a, a, a Patrick Stewart renaissance recently. And so, you know, when I propose, hey, you know, they have a new Star Trek show. It's just Picard, I guess. I don't know what else is going on. Uh, would you be interested? And she's like, I'll watch anything with Patrick Stewart. Uh, and so we watched it. And I think we both really enjoyed it, even though, again, a lot of the references didn't didn't land in the same way. But I think it was written in such a way that you don't have to be fully aware. And it wasn't until the show was over that I started hearing grumblings from fans of the series that they didn't like the show because of X, Y, and Z. I mean, again, reasons why I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even been aware of so yeah i think I'll, it's kind of interesting I, uh, brent what did you think of picard you're you're very familiar with with picard the characters what do you think of brent of sorry what do you think of picard the show <laughs> i did like it but I, and not to be a prude because you know i'll say whatever language or you know word or whatever but dropping the f-bombs in star trek is not a thing that's not okay i know that's not okay I don't get that. So anytime that happened, it, like alarm bells went off. No, no, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, I thought it was slow. I, I uh, the characters that they had, like the supporting characters, um, a couple were really great, and a couple were not so great. Mm. All right, let me ask you this: What do you think Roddenberry would think of Picard? Uh, he'd probably. It is pink. Yeah. Oh, nope, can't say that. <laughs> no, <laughs> There's some grave turning going on. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think I think um, as far as Roddenberry is concerned, I think Picard sort of the Roddenberry stand-in character, right? It was a sort of like Picard wants the world to be a certain way, and that is Roddenberry's vision. And clearly, Picard will do what needs to be done. Uh, to save his crew, to save his ship. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I didn't think I actually thought about it in that sense. But yeah, there was um, there's a lot going on with that show. And I agree, Brent, 
uh, unless you're data, I don't think you really, I don't think we need to have profanity in Star Trek. I, I think what another thing uh, along with that is that it's a good show, but I'm not sure it's a it's a Star Trek show. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, a hundred percent with okay. you, Brent. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's a really cool sci-fi yeah. show. Like, I I will happily watch it, but I would prefer it to be with completely different characters. Like, you know, set in a different universe because it doesn't seem like it adheres to the same rules that were set out in prior Star Trek. Do we know it's our same universe? I mean, could it be? I think like, it's set you know in that? the. I mean, it's set in the J.J. <laughs> Abrams universe. So it's J.J. Oh, Abrams' it? version of of the Star Trek universe where, you know, Romulus has exploded. Uh, sorry, spoilers for the first two minutes of the Star Trek reboot from 2005. Like, it, it, it's it's a it's a universe where there is no more Romulus, there's no more Vulcan. Uh, it, it's that universe. Oh, do they call it the Kelvin yes. universe? Yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. I, mm. I was blanking on the name. I just saw, like, they, they released all three Kelvin Star Treks. I'm like, I don't understand, because first I saw it as Kevin, and I didn't get that either. Who's but, this um, Kevin guy? <laughs> why is he in space? How do I sign up? I want to be Kevin. Kevin Trek. It's Star Trek, but everyone's named Kevin. Yeah, your Kevin Trek That's... is Star Trek for the everyman. That's what it is. <laughs> mm. It's like a, a non-animated Lower Decks. Actually, <laughs> shortly before we started recording, I started watching Lower Decks, the Next Generation episode, and I got about 10, 15 minutes into it, and I'm like really curious as to where this episode is going. Um, and I will finish it probably when we get done. Because um, So I haven't watched I that yet, I'm... but I made a... I, I, I'm sorry, I should, probably shouldn't be saying this, and maybe you want to cut this out, but I, <laughs> I, I, when I was at uni with... By the way, like most of my podcast cohorts, we, we study together. That's how we know each other. And, and oh, cool. um, some of us, like some of the, I guess, prior co-hosts and I, we, uh, we did a Star Trek fan film at uni. That's, like, that's the major what? achievement of going to university was like, oh, we spent a summer <laughs> making a Star Trek movie. Uh, and it's it's utter garbage. Like it's it's a total dumpster fire. But the the log line is pretty much the same as <laughs> Lower Decks. I'm sure that Lower Decks is about a bajillion times better. <laughs> the effects for one are probably better. They probably have internal mics. But oh, sorry, external mics. <laughs> Wait, I swallowed my mic. <laughs> but yeah, no, I haven't seen that yet. I'm curious about it though. They've got some cool, um, at least guest appearances, like cool guest, uh, cool actors making cameos on it. Oh, you're talking about the uh, the animated? Yeah, exactly. The oh Lower yeah, Dex I, thing. I watched like, the first one and I was it was not for me. Oh really? Is it more of a kids show? Maybe it is. No, but it's just it's super silly, and I was like, oh, oh. I don't know. I mean, I retract all of my former statements. That's it's, just... No, that's... no, it's very polarizing. <laughs> Some people either really, really love it or they really, really hate it. And Actually, the night that the first one uh, premiered, uh, actually, I think it was the next day, I watched it, and then I went on IMDb, and it had a score of, like, four. <laughs> oh, like, no. oh, no. Whoa. Oh, so, that is rough. That's a, that's... Fandom has spoken. <laughs> Oh, so uh, who watches The Watchers? Um, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, who watches The back Watchers? In. Uh, <laughs> nice segue. Why, why this one? <laughs> why, why this one in particular? Okay, so there's there's one 
principle by which Starfleet... As a, I, I, I mean, there are probably some terms within the Star Trek universe that I don't have to explain to, to listeners. But like th- so there's one, there's one principle by which Starfleet operates that is central to everything that they do. In fact, you might say that it is primary to what they do. Uh, so it's the it's called the... This per- that directive in particular is definitely <laughs> yes, primary. Yes, exactly. So the prime directive, which, which prohibits any kind of interference with with alien races that have not yet developed beyond a certain point of, you know, beyond a certain technological point, uh, specifically warp drive, because the the assumption is that once you develop warp drive, you know, uh, warp, warp five, Scotty, I'm giving her all she got, she's got. Uh, 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 listeners know what I'm talking about. Uh, so once you've developed warp drive, the assumption is that you will bump into other species around the universe. And before or up until the point that you do develop this technology, it is absolutely forbidden to interact with that civilization. And who watches the watchers absolutely perfectly clarifies what that is about, what are the potential consequences of adhering, of sticking to this rule. And to what lengths are people prepared to go just to abide by it? Absolutely, yeah. So according to the internet, um, Star Trek has broken the Prime Directive 33 times across the series. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I don't know how old that article is. but Is that TNG uh, alone? No, no. I think, I think it's just Star Trek in the series. I think... Oh, okay. I think 33 of 178 would be really bad. <laughs> that, <so>. that's, <laughs> quite, that's just appalling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor show, Picard. That's not well done. <laughs> um, so this is the first one I watched, clearly, because you, you put them in chronological order. I thought maybe there was a reason for that. And and, and uh, this one hit home for me, particularly because my undergraduate degree is partially in anthropology. And I think mm. if I had a job on the Enterprise or in, in Starfleet, a xenoanthropologist, someone who studies other cultures, I think is what I would probably most want to do. Um, and these are possibly some of the worst anthropologists um, I have ever seen demonstrated who they're just like, well, we screwed up. Let's, let's just, <laughs> let's just run with into it. it. Yeah. <laughs> just like, <laughs> might as well. Uh, can we do something about it? Eh, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, the cleanup of this, uh, of all, you know, the the detritus of of them breaking the Prime Directive is not handled well. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm perfectly happy to say that they could have done a better job. <laughs> they probably could have, but maybe not. I mean, like, I don't know if I could have done a better job given a, 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 the time frame they had. Because Picard's conversation with the uh, leader of the of the oh men talkins is brilliant it's so it's, brilliant it's beautiful yeah it, it's poetic it's incredible it, it, it's it's so incredibly well written and it really showcases uh, patrick stewart's sir patrick's yes. range as an actor wowee what an incredible shakespearean chap he is mm. yeah yeah no absolutely you cuz you can see every decision you can see him making those decisions. It goes across his face. You could tell by her responses what he's going to say next. He's, he's thinking about it, thinking about it. And when he comes to the comparison that he does, I was kind of gobsmacked and went, yes, brilliant. This is, this is 
how you should reach out and try to bridge that gap. And how disappointed were you when it didn't work out? Right, but it, because yeah. it because the writers of that or writer of that episode really made a point to make it feel like yes, this is definitely working. This is working. This is working. This is working. It is not working well. <laughs> well, um, fortuitously, someone was dying in sickbay just as she entered oh, it, so yeah, she that, figured out they're not gods. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. that was um that was a little dance machina, but um <laughs> I could just see him going. Uh, Beverly, just, um, if anyone's dying, just let me know, you know, or if we have to kill somebody. <laughs> is, so I, I feel I should ask this, um, is Wesley Crusher not in the show after season three? Is this, is he like seasons one, two, one and two? I'm, because I'm I, trying to remember when he leaves. Brent, do you remember this? He goes to Starfleet at some point. I don't remember when he leaves. I just know he does leave for Starfleet and then he comes back maybe two or three times to visit. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I don't remember when he just wasn't in any of the either. three episodes. And so I, I just remember him being a part of Star Trek because it's yeah. funny because when I asked everybody, you know, who your, your character was, I was thinking someone's going to clearly say Wesley because it's a kid on a spaceship, right? Nope, nope. Okay. So Wesley, <laughs> in a in a sense, this is a, a, a weird bit of trivia outside of these three episodes, but Wesley, so as the name Wesley is, if I'm not mistaken, the middle name of Gene Roddenberry's. And it, oh. Yeah, he was right, originally yeah. meant to be a, a girl, Leslie, <laughs> and then oh. he was rewritten as, as a boy, Wesley. But the fact that Roddenberry even okayed a, a boy character, a child character in this universe named Wesley seems to me like that's his avatar. Like, that is him. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You're right about what you said before about, like, Picard really... I mean, at this point, Roddenberry is an adult, so if he's going to project his adult opinions of the world and of how people maybe should interact with one another across cultures. Picard is probably your man. But Wesley is Roddenberry's naivete. Like, Wesley is the pure, undiluted Roddenberry before he is subjected to this multitude of cultures. And and I'm sorry that I didn't pick any episodes with Wesley, actually, now that I think about it. But... Unfortunately, most of the episodes that feature him are kind of pants. Like, they're not That's great. Fine. <laughs> That's fine. I would rather watch a good episode than uh, than a bad episode with Wesley in it, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I remember Wesley. To sort of tie it into Doctor Who, he was kind of the adric of Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> oh, that's a really good description of it, I guess. Yeah. So I know that Adric is going to show up in the next serial that we review, but I still don't know who he is. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Cool. Well, you've got that to look forward to. I, uh, I am looking forward do. to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say uh, about this story, um, I didn't realize who was in it until I started watching it. It's Catherine Lee Scott from Dark Shadows and and Ray Wise. Just is bef- right before he did Twin Peaks. Yeah, Leland Palmer oh, is in this. Oh God, episode. that is who that is. How oh. amazing is it to have Leland Palmer? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everybody's favorite bad guy from the from the eighties. Yep, and I oh also, my God, I also realized that there are uh, actually all three of these stories that you pick have, um sort of Doctor Who equivalents. So like this yep. one to me, I, I mean there's like there's a ton of Doctor Who's where they accidentally violate the uh, prime directive if they had one. Uh the Aztecs, the Ark. Mm. Yes, oh well done. Yes, exactly. Yeah, all of these and I'll get to the other two when we talk about them, but um yeah, this, this is a good episode. Um and and the second one you picked was a matter of time. Tell us about that. 
Yes, a matter of time. So uh, a matter of time, can I start off with a bit of trivia? Sure. So, so matter of time, just to clarify what this is about, I, I didn't do a synopsis of the first one. I don't know if you want to have a synopsis of the first one, but the, uh, a matter of time, it's a classic sort of A story, B story thing. A story is there's this planet, or maybe this is the B story, actually. There's the, Anyway, one of the stories is there's a, a planet that is undergoing... Um, it, some sort of terraforming activity. It's not doing particularly well. They need to rescue it. And the second story is, all of a sudden, this dude shows up. He's uh, alleging to be a historian from the future. He's a bit on the quirky side. A bit? <laughs> <laughs> and a a along the way, you realize that, you know what? Maybe he is not entirely to be trusted. Here's a bit of trivia slash a question for you guys. Maybe you've already looked at looked up trivia about this episode online, but do you know who was a front runner for the role of this guy, Rasmussen? Uh-uh. Tom Baker. No. Tom Baker was a front runner for the character of this future historian, allegedly. That would have been hilarious. Wow. Yes. Absolutely incredible. Another front runner, by the way, was Robin Williams. That's sort of that's the one that you, uh, if you do go into the Blu-ray bonus material for this particular episode, you will mm -hmm. hear like nothing but Robin Williams, who I think went on to do Mrs. Doubtfire or something like that. I can't remember, but uh, like he, he scheduling conflicts, he couldn't do. Oh, it. I see, I see, I see. Okay. Oh, okay. But Tom Baker was in the runnings. And was a favorite for this role. And holy moly, it would have suited Tom Baker so incredibly well. <laughs> so, so weird. Uh, I couldn't help, you know, because clearly it's Matt Frewer. Um, and the moment he showed up, I had a completely different Doctor Who uh, connection. Because when um, Horror of Fang Rock was airing in Chicago whenever it was on, on their PBS channel many, uh -huh. many decades ago. Uh, some A pirate uh, interrupted the broadcast yes. in a Max Headroom mask oh spanking a random person. And it's just like, you know, when Matt Frewer showed up, I think Max Headroom immediately. Uh, and uh, then I was like, oh, <laughs> Doctor Who. Uh, anyway. This might be the the best possible piece of circular trivia ever. <laughs> so incredible. That's really cool. But yeah, so you don't get the fourth Doctor. You get Max Headroom in, in this role instead. But um, yeah, I mean, I picked this episode partly because of the Tom Baker trivia, but but largely because it is, it's related to time travel. Yeah. And uh, th there's sort of an obvious connection to Doctor Who, but there is a particular character in the Hooniverse that Rasmussen... I, I, you know what? We never really actually even find out if his real name is Rasmussen. Mm -hmm. But mm. there's a particular character that he reminds me of, and that is the meddling monk. That's exactly what I had written down. Oh, yeah. nice! <laughs> and and just as, as a bit of, like, uh, coincidence, um, the... Big Finish audio I'm listening to right now is Subterfuge that came out this year. That's uh, uh, Sylvester McCoy with the meddling monk oh, wow. and Churchill. What? Holy moly. Yeah. Oh, That's a dinner party. That sounds... <laughs> oh, that sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. It's God. really good. That's really neat. Now, I enjoy this. I was watching this one, and um, my, my wife kind of comes into the room, and she's standing behind the couch watching, and she's like, so, wait, is he supposed to be a time traveler? <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, yeah, 
yeah, yeah. And I kind of explain the situation and she she just looks at it and she goes, hmm, I bet. And then she just laid out what, what the rest of the plot of the episode oh, was. Well done. Well <laughs> and, done. And, and um, <laughs> at the end, you know, like, and then she leaves. And then I finished watching the episode. She was 100% right. I come out and tell her, you're 100% right. She goes, yeah, that seems right. And I'm like, I, I normally, especially with time travel episodes, I normally can figure them out like just like that because I've watched so many of them. Yeah. And I, I was just sort of engaged in, I don't know, just sort of what was what was happening with the world because I, I liked both A story and B story were so interesting. And I and I I feel like they did such a really good job. I kind of felt with the crew with, with this kind of global disaster. And I wanted to know more about that. But then there's also this story with the time traveler doing what time travelers do. And, and the weird strange racism of Rasmussen. Yes. Who is yeah. like really interesting. Cause I don't understand much of um, Star Trek's history uh, of the, of the in universe history. So and I don't want to spoil this particular episode, but just the way he treated Worf in particular. Yeah. Um, I was just like, what are we supposed to be believing about this individual? Because if he is, who he says he is, then that means one thing. And if he isn't who he says he is, that means a totally different thing. And his, the way he's treating Data and Worf, he's othering them really hard. That's a uh, that's an I, incredibly interesting observation. I hadn't thought about this myself, but th- he comes from I want to say the twenty second century. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Let's go ahead and say it. Yeah. He's he is a time traveler. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, oh, is... No. No. It's fine. Crap. I've spoiled something else again. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. No. No. It's it's fine. <laughs> you don't have to worry about spoiling the 25 year old episode. No. 30 yeah, year old episode. Yeah. You had a chance to watch it. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But so so he's from the 22nd century, and this is a period in time where in the Star Trek universe, mankind and the Klingon Empire were at war. So if you oh. if you look at Star Trek the original series, the Klingons are the bad guys. You know they're they're right. the they're this warrior race who are I I think probably a stand-in possibly for the Soviet Union around about the time of TOS, but they are definitely not friends. And the fact that you can even you know amicably interact with one of them on a bridge and that they are wearing a Starfleet uniform must be totally alien to to Rasmussen. So that's yeah, where yeah. that racism, I think, stems from. They're mm-hmm. so savage. Yeah, yeah. No, I was like, and I was like going, you know. And then he like, steals a palm pilot from, from a desk. What a dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it's, yeah. I think this episode is uh, also really, oh, I'm sorry. I'm cutting you off. Sorry. No, go ahead. No. Um, I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, I think this episode is also really interesting because it kind of, shows the emotional progression of Picard as a character because he's kind of singled out somewhat sycophantically by Rasmussen in the beginning. He's like, I'm here to observe you. Like, you are the guy. We we talk about people like, uh, I think he compares them to Abraham Lincoln and other people, and then there's Jean-Luc Picard. And the, in the beginning, Picard is actually quite pleased. Like, he seems really proud of having been singled out to the point where he gives Rasmussen just unlimited unfettered access to yeah. to the ship which is just absurd like why would you do that this dude has like even if he shows you some credentials there's some weird future credentials that mean nothing to you right so right, yeah. but, but he still does it 
And then gradually, as the episode progresses, he becomes more and more skeptical. And it's it's just, it's handled with such delicate professionalism. It's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's turn on Rasmussen words, they're kind of like, I'm intrigued. I want to ask you so many questions. I am not filling out another questionnaire. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's something else about that what I, I found was really kind of cool is that they just accept the fact that time travel is a thing. Yeah. And it and I guess is what season 3 5 5 uh, 5. five. five yeah. So by that time you've got the three um TOS episode, uh, seasons you've got the episode uh, five seasons of next generation at this point in time time travel and the movies right the movies so time travel is a thing it's accepted and it's like hi i'm a time traveler it's like <laughs> i guess you are yeah i mean who, i mean <laughs> we we can't read into your ship you're wearing weird uh, pants so you must you're, be one <laughs> your 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 outfit looks like you are culturally appropriating uh african garb uh in a really weird and un <laughs> unflattering way um uh yeah yeah but they're sort of like well i I guess uh we just uh follow along with that now because of course yes but of course yeah (laughs) number one just just do what he says and you know try not to let him steal all your stuff yeah and don't put your balls in his face (laughs) just really if we could will if we could just put the feet on the floor <laughs> another thing in this episode which i'm, I'm just going to point out because it does feed into the next episode that i picked out is we get yes. to see data's quarters and uh, so when he enters data's quarters data is listening to i want to say something like seven or eight different symphonies and an opera and something else. oh 108 oh yeah. wow i was way off <laughs> or maybe he's maybe he's saying that he can listen to 108 separate things he can yeah he had four this time <laughs> yeah yeah right right okay yeah sorry i was way off i mean there's just a crazy amount of noise going on and but but we, but, but we also get to see just how he lives and this is a person who has i mean i'm saying person i really mean it this is an individual this is a person with a personality mm-hmm. who has no concept of emotion he is trying to emulate emotion and humanity and you get to i don't think for the first time but certainly in depth here you get to see how he chooses to live and there is art on the wall and there are musical instruments and there's a book on display and it's just absolutely wonderful to see this little glimpse of how what his inner workings you know his subconscious how is that operating it's fascinating right because he's doing that without an audience right except for us exactly yes you're right he's 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 not he's not performing as a human or as an android or exactly or anything he this is what he's choosing to do in his in his spare time yeah no it's really cool and and, and you're right this does definitely tie in with the next episode because uh, as soon as the next episode references his ability to filter out multiple noise i'm like that's Boom, yeah we it. know that that's been established <laughs> yeah. this season yeah. established canon yeah <laughs> that's really cool i'd like to um, move on to the next episode if we could sure. unless someone else wants to add something to it uh which i thought was a a fabulous episode and, and then i think when i told people that we had a guest on for this month and that we were doing tng i got a lot of people really excited to oh, see what episode here we go <laughs> and i want to say that you you have met with universal approval of these the next generation fans in, in my social media feed um because they everyone's like oh yes wow you know really great ones all of them you're gonna love them because uh, you know i i I explained my ignorance before I post something like that too. Um, and a lot of them was like, please let us know what you think of this 
this one uh, in particular. So please explain our, our Oh, it's not a crap. Third, yeah, no, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, it's no. garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the episode that I referenced uh, ages ago saying like, this is probably the one that is universally loved among fans. And uh, I, I absolutely get it. It's called Cause and Effect. It's in season five as well. It's, it's nine episodes after the one that we just talk, talked about. And this is, I think if you want to, if you want to use the incredibly banal broad strokes description of it, it's the Groundhog Day episode of TNG. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. But it's, it, it's, the, it's the Enterprise crew being stuck in, let's use a technical term, a causality loop. Uh, sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it, it's fantastic. So it starts off this incredible cold open of the Enterprise blowing up. And then hard cut to <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> every commercial break. You go to every commercial with the Enterprise blowing up. <laughs> this is so fantastic because each loop is exactly one commercial break, which proves that you could not do this episode in today's because you know you couldn't figure out a way to get them from point A to point B. Yeah, the Netflix generation eight. doesn't know what it's missing out on. I mean, th- this yeah, is yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first episode who watches the watchers yeah. um is the plot is fine but I think it speaks to the story more than the script. I think it's a g- really good story yeah. and it goes a long way um and the acting in that and the acting in all of them are great but the acting in that one particular moments is really fantastic. But it, but it's also um, so. I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off again. It's also so incredibly yeah. self-contained that it ends almost abruptly, where you, where you go, right. you know what? You could have sold this way like way better. Just <laughs> you know what? Take a bunch of scans of this alien, then go away, figure out how his or their anatomy works out, and then come back like 20 years from now and just men in black the whole species, and you're like you're gonna be fine. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, no, and it's true, and I'm sure that they've probably considered something like that. There's a, there's got to be a fanfic or a, a tie-in novel that goes along with. I, I would bet good money there's a tie-in novel to that one. Um, the the next one really felt like um, uh, a, 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 so we had acting in the first one, script in the second one. The direction in this one is so exemplary. Do you know who directed it? I'm assuming it's Jonathan Frakes. It is yep. Jonathan Frakes. It is Will Riker. Holy moly. Uh, Mr. I can't sit down on a chair normally. Yeah. He, he directed this episode and he doesn't... Incur- I mean, he directed movies as well. I'm oh, struggling yeah, to yeah. think of which movies he directed now, but he, he I, did. I want to say that he's directed at least one episode of every Star Trek series except for the first one. I think you're right about that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that would yeah, make sense. He's done, he's done Discovery and Picard also. He's yeah. done Picard as well. Oh. I think so. Yeah. I know, well, I know he's in it, but I th- I think he. I'll have to look. But I know he's done Discovery. He's done three or four Discovery episodes. Oh wow! See if he did Lower Decks as well. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I I I wasn't again a fan of. I mean, I didn't really understand direction <laughs> when I was watching this as a kid. But um, you know, since I have kind of studied with film school and such, I've become a lot more aware of of directorial choices. Oh, awesome. And um, Jonathan Frakes is a is quite a competent director, especially of television. He really, I, I feel like he probably is also really good with actors because I feel like I'm watching a series and we get to a Jonathan Frakes episode. I find that there's usually a, a, a 
a kind of um, a lighter level with with the acting. Not saying anything bad about the acting, but I'm like feeling like I feel like they're having fun on the set. Um, he directed a ton of episodes of one of my favorite shows, which is Leverage, um, which has, if you've not watched Leverage, um, someone eventually will talk about Leverage on the show. Um, but <laughs> there's so many Doctor Who references in Leverage. Really? Basically, every every third episode of, of Leverage has a Doctor Who reference. It's like, I've come up with your secret identities. You're going to be Tom Baker. You're going to be Lala Ward. Go. You know, and like, you're like, really, like, they're deep cuts. You wouldn't know necessarily, except for like maybe there's a Dalek in the corner. But he directed uh, a lot of episodes of that. Um, but this episode really reminded me of Silence of the Library, where they're oh. using the most, uh, they're getting the most they can out of a single set by changing the shot. So in Silence of the Library, um, have, you've covered that one, right? Because you, you're yeah. hot capality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got the same library set, but it looks like a different set when they're running from point A to point B because they're using different colored gels to light it in different ways. So one time it's red, sometimes it's blue, sometimes it's green. Oh, nice. And so it feels like you're in a different set, even though it's clearly the exact same one if you look at frame by frame. This, you get just just one angle when you're having a different loop. If you just have your angle focusing over the shoulder of a different character, I think they probably... I would have to look this up. It feels like they probably even recorded all the different versions at one time because I feel like the acting is really right there in, in certain scenes. Like it's, it's the same. Um, but the direction really stands out in this episode. So I just wanted to say that before I forget because the plot's fantastic. The acting's really good, but the direction in itself is really, I thought was is something I wanted to point out. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. And, and I, I mean, not to take anything away from the acting, the acting is spectacular in this one. I think Beverly Crusher in particular yes. is incredible. I'm, I'm struggling to remember her name now, her real human Gates name. Gates McFadden? Gates McFadden, mm -hmm. thank you, yes. Oh my goodness, what a performance. Mm -hmm. And really all good. those little, like the tiny little nuances, in particular when she's she's preparing to go to bed. I love the fact that she has a nightcap before she goes to bed, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the nightcap is super important. The, I need to talk to you about that, but I want to oh, yeah, yeah. continue your thought. I, but don't let me forget to talk about the nightcap. Oh, no, no. Yeah, let's absolutely put a pin in that. I, I, I could talk about this episode for three days straight. Like, <laughs> I feel this. too. And I'm like, I'm looking at this going like, okay, time-wise, we should probably move forward. But no, I do want to, I want to discuss this because I feel let's like- Let's just make this, this a two-hour episode. Yeah, let's do it. There we go. <laughs> it's always fun to talk longer about an episode than the episode itself's duration. Um, <laughs> there is a moment, and definitely, clearly spoilers for this episode, there is a moment where they're dealing the cards mm. where all four of them start calling the cards that are going to be laid down. So I yeah. guess it's probably the third iteration uh, that I got chills. Uh, oh, I know. I know. Ex I, I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of, I remember like, yeah, you know, sitting on the couch, I'm relaxed, probably got a cat in my lap and they all start calling it. And I just kind of sat up and went, this is really good oh my have i been missing this level of entertainment from like i feel like this is like someone handing you blink and going oh you've never watched doctor here here watch this yeah which, yeah. Is, which is a which is a mistake because 
Blink is so very different from anything else. Yeah, like the Doctor's barely in it, but holy moly, what an episode. What and an then episode, you get them yeah. hooked. It's like heroin. The first one's free. It's fine. Yeah, like, yeah. Just have this one. You know, it's, but you're not going to have the same experience. Like, I don't... Like, <laughs> there, there are other episodes of Doctor Who like Blink. That's why that doesn't work in that sense. And I don't know how many episodes are like this, but it's such a clever and well-directed... Just the, the playing of the cards and and how they figure out how to communicate with each other. I was, you know, scrambling to figure out what was going on, scrambling to figure out if I were a writer, how I would have written myself out of that situation. And mm-hmm. I think the way they did it is actually quite clever. And I really, I really enjoyed it. The scene that grabbed me like that was, uh, where she kept knocking over her drink and it crashes on the floor. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then the one time where she says, okay, I am not going to knock this over. And she puts it way out of the way. And then when she gets up to leave, she knocks it over and her, the look on her face, it's just, yeah, she she did a great job. It's, okay. it's such a nice detail to have her, like, even though she's completely changed the circumstances of that scene, she's put the glass, as you say, it's on a different table. It's way, like, it's far away from her bed. She's not going to wake up and knock it over. But when she knocks it over, it really hammers home the sort of inevitability of the, the circular nature of what yeah. is now their reality. Yeah. Like, whatever you do, you can't escape this. You will always follow the same pattern in some way. So I I can't decide if I love it or I hate the, that. So that's this is the nightcap. <laughs> this is what I'm oh, this is what I'm referring to. All right. So for audiences who are not from who haven't watched this episode or are still listening to this, you really should stop and and watch this episode. But if do you come want back. something slightly more modern <laughs> by ten years, let's talk about the Matrix, where it's like you know hmm. don't worry about the vase. What vase? Crash. You know it's that's inevitable, right? Excellent reference. Yeah. So. The, the the brilliance of that is saying, yes, this is something that is, is going to happen regardless. But the, the part that is kind of like niggling to me is that you can escape this. The, it, it feels like it is fate that they have, like that is like, it puts too much focus on that because there's even a moment where she breaks it off camera and we just hear it over the audio, right? Which is kind of a clever thing, but like, what is that trying to tell us that you can't escape? Like how many times has she broken this thing? Is this, I feel like that's the, like it's almost like Chekhov's broken flute of, (laughs) of alcohol, which is, it feels like that should have been, I guess it. (laughs) I think it, what it, what it does is it, I, I think she breaks it again, effectively by coincidence. Right. She, she, maybe some subconscious impulse is prompting her to do so. So it doesn't actually speak to the inevitability of this situation because, mm. spoiler alert, at the end, there is a happy ending. I mean, they do ex- escape this causality loop. But what it does say is even when we hear off screen, just over the intercom, her breaking that glass, it, we know immediately as viewers the anguish that she, the character of Beverly Crusher, is going through when mm. that happens. Okay. Uh, to me, that's incredibly powerful. I'll take that. I'll take that because I feel like... Score. Oh, yeah, sell five. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's more in place for us as a visual cue uh, than it is. Because you, you compared it to Groundhog Day, and I think you can't help but compare it to Groundhog Day, yeah. right? Because like, everything is going to compare it to Groundhog Day. But certain aspects of Groundhog Day... Um, that's where the futility is. You're going to be repeating that over and over and over again. Things are going to be the same until you 
in particular change who you are as a person, that's the indicator, right? So like the breaking of the glass is the Sunny Bon Sunny and Cher song in the morning, right? It's, it's yeah. inevitable. It's going to happen. It's it almost wish they had called back at the end of that episode where like she finally gets her drink and it doesn't break. And oh, that's, oh, that's or, so good. Or she would go to bed and she she puts the glass down and like she moves it and then the lights go down. Sort of like the spinning top in Inception. Like, you, you know, like I, I kind of wanted. I well, we wanted... finished the episode and she's like <laughs> enrolling in AA because she clearly has a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Or she just gets a, an unbreakable, like, t- like giant spear stein. And she's yeah, like, just a, like no, a comically sized cognac glass full of whatever weird future beverage she's With drinking. With, like, an inflatable <laughs> ring around it to keep it from actually breaking. Where she's like, not this time. She's wearing, like, mittens or something. And she's just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to see that episode. <laughs> Well, yeah, the, we get the blooper reel where it's just 30 takes of her breaking the glass in different ways. <laughs> I think we could do that. I think we could just get a Gates McFadden lookalike uh, and just just do like a whole 45 minute episode of just the different ways that, that breaks where she's just she's in 10 forward and the glass followed her or. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, we're, we're all out of pint glasses. Can I do you mind if I pour it into a different kind of glass and the only one that they have at their disposal is this kind of glass? Like, oh, crap, what am I going to do? I can't drink out of this. She's got it surrounded by pillows all across the floor. There's no possible way. And then there's a teleportation a malfunction. And Riker knocks it over. Riker, Riker knocks it over with his foot. <laughs> as, he, as he steps in. Riker steps on it. <laughs> oh, I, I do have to tell you, when I was watching these in order this time, or, you know, over the last few years when they came out, uh, Every time I saw Brandon Braga's name come up as a writer, I thought, mm-hmm. okay, this is going to be good because almost everyone he wrote was like a puzzle episode like this one. And not only this show, but when he wrote on uh, the Orville, he did the same thing. He wrote fact, for the Orville? I didn't oh, yeah, know I th- that. I think he's one of the producers on that show. This I'm is why the Orville gets everything it's right. It's so good. It's such a great <laughs> show. It really is a good show. Because I think people sort of like brushed off the Orville to start with because, oh, it's the family guy, dude. He's It's going to be silly. And there are some funny things on there, but it really is a new next generation at its core. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Because he's such a right. serious fan. Yeah, it's a great show. It also but, has uh, that utopian feel to it that you don't necessarily get in Discovery, for example. Which, okay, so Discovery is set before TNG, but like you don't get that in, let's say, Picard. Like in Picard... People aren't getting along, <laughs> you know. There are way too many lasers for people to be getting along. Whereas in the Orville, it's just, you know, it's an adventure. It's an adventure in diplomacy. Yep. And and um, I was mentioning the Doctor Who elements earlier for the other two episodes. This was definitely Meg lost, just like you just saw. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you so much for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the other two things I wanted to bring up about this episode was um. I saw in the credits that Kelsey Grammer was on here, and he yep. was for like five seconds at the very end. Yeah, Fraser Crane know. destroys the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I also read that, um, first of all, that was the Wrath of Khan bridge, and also that um, the woman standing beside him was supposed to be Kirstie Alley as Savage. Yes. And she, she was filming something else, so she couldn't do it. 
But uh, the other thing, when I saw this one again, it, it hit me again about Ensign Rowe. Oh, yeah. Oh, of because, course. I'm, I completely forgot that she's in this. Yeah, and that that is one character that I had no idea who she was when I started watching these in order, season to season. I was like, who is this? And she just kept appearing and kept appearing. I was like, I don't remember this character. And she really had um, a bit of a character arc because she went from being a subordinate pain in Riker's ass to becoming a lieutenant. <laughs> and uh, I I read that she was supposed to be in DS9 instead of Major Q. Yeah, she was going to be, I mean, effectively a main character, a, you know, a bridge character on DS9. Yeah, and she turned it down, yeah. Huh. I have no idea who you're talking about. Um, the Bajoran uh, woman who was, uh, she was at the helm in this. Oh, I think she might yes, be yes, the yes, second okay. in command on DS9. Yeah, I, there was a part of me when they were going the loop and I looked and I was like, I couldn't remember. Like they were focusing on that character a little bit. And I was like, well, I don't don't know this character. Don't know if it, you know, they show up in the season. I was wondering, you know, sometimes we have these time loop where it turns out that someone has smuggled themselves aboard and they're pretending to be a member of the crew. But in fact, they're just playing with everyone's memories to find out some secret Inception style. And I wondered if like, is she a spy from some other delegate? But no, is she like that not. weird you know, slug not... from Rick and Morty? The the <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we've been friends forever. Don't you remember me? Oh, I'm yeah, the helmsman. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm having a hard time remembering any character other than Mr. Poopy Butthole from that episode. Now. <laughs> Photography Raptor. Why is that the one I remember? Photography Raptor. Sleepy Ra Gary. I believe uh, that's also the episode that uh, introduces uh, Abraham, no, Abradolf Linkler, <laughs> the, the Abraham Lincoln, Adolf Hitler cyborg. <laughs> oh, that show. We, we, we covered that one in season one. And I think uh, that was the episode where we, uh, after that episode, we decided to not talk about shows that hadn't been finished yet because oh. we, we sort of like, where do you want to see, you know, season go, uh, Rick and Morty go with season three? And, um, and of course, you know, now we, we have a season three and a season four uh, of Rick and Morty. So eventually we'll have to come back to it. Um, and we, we've, we've bent the rules a couple of times with that one. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, is there anything else that either one of you want to discuss briefly about just next generation as a show as its own iteration of star trek um the characters anything along those lines i feel like we haven't actually said the words wharf yet so i'm just gonna say the word wharf. <laughs> uh and so that that people are like well, i feel like this is a really anti-wharf episode no i guess we did we talked about um uh uh klingon uh racism so i mean i can think of one thing um, to say about this particular episode and uh, feel yeah. free to cut this out if you like but it Something else that is integral to this episode is it shows cooperation among the bridge crew. And th th this is something yeah. that you don't get in a lot of modern sci-fi. I mean, you don't get it in, in modern Star Trek. And you, I don't think you get it in, in a lot of sci-fi in general. Just the fact that, you know what, we're, we're between loops. Let's, uh, let's take a step back. Let's all meet in the radio room and just discuss what's going on. I want to hear opinions from that corner of the room and that side of the room. And, you know, th th it's just this incredible collaboration that brings about the show as a whole. 
Yep. You know, I, I definitely noticed that too. I was thinking it's so nice to see them working as a team. And it's a team that Picard clearly trusts everyone. And and like, you know, if 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 Jordy says something and it's about technology, you go with it. You know, yeah. there's no rogue elements in this group. They they clearly are the best at what they do. And yeah, I I, I feel like um that was one of the things I really enjoyed most is it it's such a different dynamic than we get from most teams. And I, and I think I brought it up clearly that a lot of science fiction now is about the rogue elements and kind of like, Absolutely. Oh, you're a loose cannon. We're a whole ship full of loose cannons. We're just <laughs> a bridge full of Han Solos. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. that's sort of what people are demanding is a bridge full of Han Solos because uh, you know, that's sort of what sells right now. But this show really speaks to, I felt like, it felt like a military vessel, yeah. right? Like, like there's there's an actual hierarchy there that people follow, but it's at the same time, you know, there's a certain, uh, uh, not just um, diplomatic way or a democracy about it, but I feel like everyone is trusted to work in their specific fields in a way that that Picard's like, yeah, if you think that's that's going to work, absolutely, yes, you know, like I mean, yeah, he is the highest ranking officer, but he's not an authoritarian. Like, if he knows no. that other people have certain areas of expertise like you have troy who know who she can sense how you know what's the general mood she's sort of the exposition machine i guess but like yeah she's not great i'm gonna say <laughs> i will say that where i feel like <laughs> i thought she was actually quite good in the first episode and, and i don't remember you know thinking much of troy as a character i mean clearly i was a, you know teenage boy watching this show and oh so, wow i know exactly like, where you're heading with i had such a crush on troy brett knows what i'm talking about it's like (laughs) i feel like in many ways like she's like i feel like they don't trust us is the fact that they're pointing guns at you uh, any indicator that they don't (laughs) trust you you know like i felt like uh, and i know that like making fun of troy feels like 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 low-hanging fruit uh but in uh who watches the watchers i thought she did a really kind of exceptional job i felt she was a very strong character absolutely I like the fact that, like, she's like, oh, no, this is a matriarchal society. I lead. Uh, she was giving Riker information. Like, I thought that was kind of cool. But on the whole, I don't remember really liking her in my way back memory about this show. Uh, so, yeah. That's that something, way. by the way, like, if if people who aren't necessarily into a, uh, you know, just a, a bridge crew and an adventure a week kind of sci-fi show, there is also this overarching storyline of the romance between Deanna Troy and Will Riker, which really mm-hmm. develops across seven seasons. And then, I mean, even into the movies and into even into Picard, obviously. But right. there's... There's a, a tension there and, and just this emotional development that's very, it's it's lovely to watch. Leon, if you want to be found uh, by by people, uh, how could they find you? Uh, well, that's a wonderful question. Thank you for asking it. People can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N, but it's maybe easier to find me via the podcast itself, Who Back When? Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, aside from putting together audiobooks and audio dramas that uh, may or may not have small parts for particular hosts of particular podcasts, um, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> dusting off one's lapels, yes, yeah. <laughs> what other projects are you working on that you'd like to tell folks about? 
Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I, I do have a TARDIS in the garden that needs a new lantern, so I, I'll probably be building a new lantern <laughs> or you know, fashioning a new lantern for it. Uh, aside from that, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, there's, um, the, the, there's a blog element to whobackwhen.com as well, which I have been neglecting just out of time constraints. And there are some incredible writers out there just in the world who keep sending us fantastic blog pieces. And then at some point, I will, you know, get, get my... Uh, S word in gear, and I will I, I will actually publish all these things. But I mean, do check it out because there is some fantastic work. You know, there's some fantastic work being sent our way. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for joining us at Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom, stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Hey guys, just wanted to mention that we were honored to be asked to do a little skit for Professor Dave's Ark in Space podcast called Ghoulavision for Halloween. You can check that out at profdave.lipson.com, episode 4.33, Ghoulavision. Along with some entries by other very fine podcasts, such as our friends at The Ferris Project, Tim's Take On, the Cultum Collective, and the Pratchett Podcast. And here's a little outtake that didn't make it. Now I have to explain to my wife what I'm doing. I should have told her. I should have messaged her that I'm recording.